Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Phil Mackey. You know, talking about a good kid, it makes it easy to root for. He's a solid young man. I really like him a lot. Judd Zolgad. You know, Uh-oh. that's a shame. <laughs> but... Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Derrick Rose in transition. Rose crossover gets to the rack. That's finished Derrick Rose right there. Are we going to get more vintage Derrick Rose tomorrow night? With the playoffs on the line against the Nuggets inside Target Center. I'm sure Tibbs will be counting on Derek. Vintage Derek Rose. Ten points last night. He did he did provide the, some spark. Play the soundbite again, though. Tibbs on Derek Rose. By the way, we're going to get two things in play during this segment. We'll get to Dan's call on the Wolves. Uh, do you think they're going to win tomorrow night? Also, and then what happens if they don't is another thing we can discuss today and tomorrow. And then we just got done with a great half-hour discussion with Jason Stark and and the, the Mark McGuire interview that's coming out. Would you trade that 98 season for pure baseball? Yep. Get rid of the cheaters. But here is Tom Thibodeau on how awesome Derrick Rose is. He's got great instincts. And, I mean, you're just seeing, you know, the tip of it. He's, you know, this year has been, uh, you know, basically a lost year. But he's super talented, and that's why we picked him up. And uh, he's played very well for us. Just want to tell him, Tibbs, the first marriage didn't work. I mean, it started off great. MVP season. Don't go back. Don't do it again, Tibbs. Don't even be tempted. And he's talking about one lost season, as I told you before. We're really talking about, I think, four lost seasons. It might be more than that. It might be more. Right. But my point is is the Butler infatuation makes perfect sense. Yeah, the trade cost you a lot, but you got a great player back. Totally with it. But Derrick Rose? We're going to need Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler tomorrow night are just are going to have to be very cagey-like in their in their clutch do-or-die game performance. Butler is either going to leave the court on his teammates' shoulders or on a stretcher. 651-646-8255. Yeah. Let's start with uh, Dan here on Wolves. Go ahead, Dan. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, man? Uh, Hi, Dan. I'm actually, I'm actually in Denver uh, on enemy territory right now listening to your show. Wow. So, um... They're all very, very pumped about this game tomorrow. I don't feel uh, very confident about tomorrow, so I haven't heard the first part of the show. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but um, I guess I feel like we should win. We have more talent, and it's at home. But I I was very optimistic about the Wolves most of the year, and it's slowly waned, and now I feel like, I don't know. If we don't win, I definitely can tell you that they should probably – I will probably – be blaming Andrew Wiggins for our loss in advance because I just don't think that he's going to show up at all tomorrow with any fire. And I really hope that I'm proven wrong on that. But I agree with you guys. I think Towns and Butler need to be the ones 
putting us on their back. Um, I don't think we're going to, which is unfortunate. I think we'll give them at least another year or so. But uh, I don't know. We just get some shooters. I can't. I watched the game last night, and somehow Derek Rose is our third best jump shooter, which is just god awfully pathetic. So <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to your thoughts, guys. Uh, good, good listening to you from afar. Take right care. on, man. Dan Thanks, in Dan. En- enemy territory in Denver. I think he he hit on the point that I, I I agree. The Wolves have the two best players in the game tomorrow night. Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. Even if it's not a hundred percent Jimmy Butler, are the two best players in that game. You should win an NBA game if you have the two best players in a game. However, Denver's coming in hot. They've won six games in a row against really good teams too. I mean, they've beat some. They beat Portland. They beat the Timberwolves. They beat. They've they've won some games against good teams here. Uh, the Wolves. They look clunky. Even though they have the two best players, they look clunky. They're, they're banged up. Taj has a neck thing. They're running on fumes. They've looked clunky for three weeks too. They've looked clunky as a well, team for a good month. Yeah. They've looked. They they only they they only the only time they didn't look clunky was like a three week stretch in January where everything they won like ten straight home games. Other than that, it was a slow ramp up, and now it's been kind of a crawl to the finish line. Uh, Peter, you're on the Mackie and Judd show. Yeah, Judd, you hit it right on the money. The Bulls gave up a lot for Butler, a lot. Markkinen is going to be a super player. I like him a lot. Dunn, Dunn had a pretty good year this year until he got hurt at the end, and Levine came back from his knee injury pretty well. But, you know, um, Phil, if if the Wolves lose that game tomorrow night, they're going to have two picks, two first-round picks in around the 20 to 22 range in a draft that's supposed to be one of the strongest in recent years. And the trade-off is they get to play either Houston or Golden State, and they get blasted out of their shoes in four or five games. Thank you. Yeah, that's the that's like <laughs> trying to reconcile that, and then add to that the fact that they haven't been to the playoffs in fourteen years, which might you know sway you in one direction, but also the fact that Tom Thibodeau hasn't shown a propensity or a willingness or an ability to accept young players, empower them. You're not talking about a top five pick that you're going to plug in right away. You'd be talking about this is a deep draft, but you'd be talking about a couple of picks that would probably go right to the G League, like Justin Patton did, and spend yeah. the whole year there. Of course they would. So now another coach might come in and say, "Oh, we're going to get ten minutes out of you right away because that's how we roll." Like the Mike Zimmer of college of or a GM would come downstairs and say, "Play this guy." Yes, or that's or the some problem. Discussion. Here. Yeah, there's no discussion. Yeah. All right, let's go back to our other conversation here. Would you trade that 1998 season or? Uh, I know Judd would trade two World Series for outdoor baseball, so you'd trade almost anything. Let's Darn go to straight. Joe on line one. Hey, thanks, guys. I uh, love the show. Thank you. Um, so my question is, I've always um, questioned people who make a distinction between using steroids for uh, uh, you know workouts and using steroids to recover from an injury because – um, as I understand it, there's two things. One, the benefit of steroids is that you can lift weights more often and recover faster. And the second, it seems to me that recovering from an injury faster is a tremendous performance enhancement. Yes. Because the guy who's injured and can't isn't taking steroids can't play, and that's usually the difference between, uh, for a lot of in a lot of cases, having a career or getting cut. And so, uh, it's always been a distinction without a difference to me, and I just wonder what you guys think. It's a good point. I think we tend to be more sympathetic if you say that you use performance-enhancing drugs like Andy Pettit. Hey, I just wanted to get back on the field with my teammates and help my team win and make money for my family, blah, 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 versus, hey, I just want to hit bombs. 
I just want to jack the ball 7,000 feet yeah, and, and talk like Jim trip. Rome, apparently. Uh, so there is a distinction in how we how we react to those different explanations, for sure. I also think that in, in retrospect now, it's pretty clear that baseball uh, threw guys like McGuire and Bonds below the bus very quickly. There is no way they didn't know, right? Like, we should have known as fans, but are you telling me nobody? Are you telling me... Selig and the rest of the commissioner's office had no clue about this. They had to be tipped off. They had to know. But they were saying to to themselves, we got people showing up for batting practice now. Uh, Two years ago, we couldn't get people to show show up for games. The point is, in retrospect now, if you go back and think this through and look at things, I I think being calm about it and not being as upset as we were at the time when it came out, we would see this differently. I'm not saying it was right. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it would be seen differently because, as I, I t- told you last year, when Bud Selig got elected to to the Hall of Fame, to me, that opened the door for everybody because Bud Selig had to know. Mm-hmm. Bud Selig had to know what was going on. But the key there is, if it saved baseball, guess what? That's not a bad thing. So it, it, it's a very convoluted. It's not. It's not nearly as black and white as we made it out to be when we first found out. And, and another point off what caller Joe just said too: the perception of, you know, the, whether it's the usage or the explanation for the usage. So we have strength building is bad, but getting back on the field from an injury, you know, what well, we can live with that a little bit more. Well, then there's this other category of amphetamines or. A close cousin might be Adderall, and Adderall is the thing that football players use a lot to stay hyper-focused for three or four hours, and college kids use Adderall now. It's an epidemic, using Adderall to stay hyper-focused and, you know, and pull long studying sessions. Well, I don't want to say the two players, because this is definitely second-slash-third-hand information, but I was told at one point, fairly recently, there's two guys in the Hall of Fame right now that played in the 90s that... And, and more than two guys, but like I heard specifically two names that never played a game in their careers without amphetamines. So if you were to say, all right, well, I got a guy here who for sure did steroids in Mark McGuire, but I got this other guy over here who's in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he took steroids, but he definitely took amphetamines for every game to stay hyper-focused. In the 70s, and, they and, did too. And improve numbers. Yeah, no question. But it's like we don't really care as much about amphetamines. Yeah, because it bores us. But if you're locked in on a baseball much more... Clearly and much more often over the course of six months. Guess what you're going to do more often? Hit the crap out of the baseball. Part of the stay on the field. But Phil, part of, of the steroid thing was, was we were mad at ourselves because these guys ballooned up to supermen, and we didn't question it. And so when, when we found out, we said, "Oh, whoa, 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 well, that's what yeah. you were doing." So this this is at the time it came out, and, and it's partially because of the defiance of the players. We just said this is black and white. They're all in trouble. They should be. What we didn't allow for was baseball had to know, and and baseball was not going to stop something that was going really well. Baseball, there is no way that Bud Selig was actually going to step in in 99 and say, last summer doesn't count now, Yeah, because then the fans would have turned on baseball. So starting with Bonds, though, I think what you have to accept is he's a Hall of Fame player. Like it or not. And And you can hate him, and he was a first-class jerk, and it doesn't matter. You know what? And I've been on the fence about this because my stance has always been, if you're kind of a borderline Hall of Famer and you are a known PED user, all right, like let's put other guys in before you. But Mark McGuire is is one of the most famous and best hitters of a baseball in 150 years. 
So like Mark McGuire, if Mark McGuire should be enshrined in some way in the Hall of Fame to me. Anyways, this we're going down a rabbit hole here. We could do this for five more hours. Let's come back, catch up with Jace Frederick from TwinCities.com and the Pioneer Press. He covers the Timberwolves. Let's set the scene. Tomorrow night, Timberwolves and Nuggets. Biggest game since the 2004 Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. What will happen? And uh, if they don't win the game, what will happen, too? We could discuss all these things. Luther Brookdale Toyota is on the corner of 694 Brooklyn Boulevard. And uh, you can also visit LutherBrookdaleToyota.com, which got a nice little web renovation here in the last couple days. The annual tire sale is going on right now. Buy any three tires and get the fourth one for just a dollar on any Toyota. That's any three tires and get the fourth one for just a buck on Toyotas. Uh, Also, they'll do a free battery test and inspection to get you ready for summer driving up to the cabin. Well, that's kind of a pipe dream right now because there's snow in the forecast for this weekend. But make sure you're safe. Make sure you're ready to roll. My friends in that service department at Luther Brookdale Toyota will hook you up and make sure you're enjoying a smooth and safe ride. My family and I have been going to the same place for 30-plus years and uh, and there's a reason why we just sort of bypass all the other service departments and dealerships in the Twin Cities. There's no reason to go anywhere else. Take it from us. 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Tell them Mackie sent you. Mackie and Judd are back. I've been waiting for this for a long time. On 1500 ESPN. Towns yet another rebound and a flush on top of it. Speaking of weapons, an and one for Cat. What a feed, Tyus Jones to Carl. Hey, nothing to worry about tomorrow night. Nothing to worry about, Minnesota sports fans. There's plenty of history to suggest that things are going to turn out just fine tomorrow night. Or not. We're driving the wrong way down the street or is not. what, what we're is doing. Bad. This is bad. Hey, headlights are coming at us. <laughs> What's that? But Jace Frederick, TwinCities.com, and Pioneer Press uh, covers the Wolves. This also seems perfect, right? Like, the Wolves have kind of stumbled their way through without Jimmy Butler, and they've lost a bunch of games that they should have won throughout the year. And, and, and the Nuggets have earned... This game, they've won six in a row. They're red hot. So I have no problem with the Wolves having to prove their way into the playoffs by winning this game tomorrow night. No, same here. And, you know, like every other team in the West has has earned their spot. You know, something the Wolves have talked about the last couple of weeks here is every time that they want someone to lose, they're trying to get some help. They don't get it. And it's because everybody else is getting the job done, is doing what they had to do to get into the playoffs. Meanwhile, the Wolves are losing to Memphis, struggling to Atlanta, just stubbing their toe too many times. They kind of put themselves in this position. Even Andrew Wiggins has said it. Like we've kind of we've kind of done this to ourselves. We put ourselves in a spot where we had to root for other teams to lose, and now you have a spot. You know, you have one shot. It's a home game. You have the best player on the court. It's still a game you should probably win. Like if you don't win this one, then then you probably weren't a playoff team this year. That's just kind of the way it is. But you know, at least with the Timberwolves, they don't really have too much of a history of heartbreak. Like very rarely are they even in this position. So, not, <laughs> That's the sad thing, Jason. <laughs> How's Taj? Is he with, with the neck problem? Is he probably going to go tomorrow night, or don't you expect him to go? I would be shocked if he didn't at least give it a go. It's, I mean, he said that he was having trouble with kind of like turning his neck uh, last night. Something he suffered in the Laker game. Has had like chiropractic work on it. I'm sure they'll do the exact same thing. It'll be heavy treatment these next two days. I'm sure he'll at least give it a go. Now, will something happen early in the game where he aggravates it and can't go again? Maybe, but right. I'm sure he'll at least go out there, and, and then they'll kind of just hope for the best, and they certainly need him. If they lose tomorrow night and get bounced, uh, Jace, 
which uh, which loss, which bad loss is going to stand out to you in particular? I think just probably the Memphis one recently. I mean, there have been so many bad ones, you know, at Brooklyn, at Atlanta, uh, home Phoenix, at Phoenix. But the Memphis one mostly because you knew the importance. And, like, there was no hiding it. This wasn't a game in December. Like, like every game was counting at this point. You were already looking at the standings. You knew how close the West race was, and you still didn't really show up. Uh, against the team that you should beat and have to beat. Um, so I, I think just kind of the moment uh, of, the, of that Memphis game that was the most inexcusable. Now, they have like a laundry list of these terrible losses, but that one was just like, come on. There was no hiding the importance of it, and, and you still kind of blew it. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing that it's so hard to reconcile because, like, if you're a Wolves fan, this is super fun the next two days leading up to this game. And it's, you know, you can't beggars can't be choosers. So the fact that you get Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns, and you get a home game for a trip to the playoffs for the first time in 14 years, like in a vacuum, that's something to celebrate in itself. And if you win that game, it should be something even more to celebrate. But I think I don't know if it's the Tom Thibodeau factor or just the general joyless nature of of watching this team, Jace. But it just it always feels like there's something missing here, and I can't tell if we're just being too hard. Uh, on the Wolves, or if we're accurate in our assessment of how hard this team is to watch. What do you think? Yeah, I've kind of swayed back and forth on that a little bit this year. Uh, I, I think the reasons that people don't like to, don't really maybe enjoy watching the Timberwolves as much is Tom Thibodeau is certainly part of it. I think just his demeanor, his nature. Um, you know, Minnesota's, I think, got a little bit of a tough time relating to that. Um, but then also, something I've noticed these last few weeks at Target Center, like when the Wolves make like a great hustle play, I mean, like, like when they dive on the floor for a loose ball, the cheers are about as loud as you'll hear any time uh, during games. But then when they're getting like killed defensively, I think a lot of people will relate that to kind of a, a lack of effort, um, and, and that's when the boos come out. So I, I really think that people really just want to see this team play hard, and there are many times, and Jimmy Butler even referred to it last night, like they didn't play hard early in that game last night. There are too many times where they're not maybe playing hard or certain guys aren't playing hard, and, and that's frustrating to watch, especially like if you're paying money to go to these games and, and these guys aren't even playing hard uh, in what should be big, big moments. I think that's really just frustrated fans a lot throughout the year, and there's certainly this team is not perfect by any means, and it's and it's okay to kind of have frustrations. But I would say for tomorrow night, like fans should enjoy this moment. I mean, like these, these games, these playing games in the NBA are so rare; they don't come around very often. It has to be like a perfect storm to get this kind of game. Yeah, this will be as cool of a non-playoff game as you'll as you'll get. So maybe I go into this one with a little bit more excitement than angst. For sure, Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press, TwinCities.com. If they whiff tomorrow night, if they lose. Should Tom Thibodeau, the executive, or Tom Thibodeau, the coach, deserve more criticism? That's a good question. Um, I guess I would say Tom Thibodeau, the coach, because I, I just look at the roster, and I don't think they did a bad job assembling the team. Now, certainly they could use more wing depth, they could use more shooting, but you look at the starting five, and that's been really good um, this year. Uh, their, their numbers together as a, as a unit are, are very good. Uh, the bench probably hasn't been developed enough, uh, maybe hasn't been used quite properly. Uh, and then it's just like, look, I don't know if I don't know if guys like Andrew Wiggins sometimes, if, if there's a coach that can get more out of them, you know, that can get them to play harder. But Tibbs hasn't found the solution to it yet, and I guess Tibbs, the coach, deserves some blame for that. Uh, if, it's, if it's possible to do it, he hasn't found a way how to do it yet. Um, and he hasn't gotten enough out of his bench, probably hasn't developed those guys enough. So I don't think there's – I mean, like, there are certainly moves that can be made with the roster this offseason, but I just think with, like, the Jimmy Butler trade, things like that, I think Tibbs, the executive, has done at least an okay job. Um, Tibbs, the coach, probably would deserve a little bit more blame in my mind. Jason, if they lose, in your mind, is there any chance that uh, that Tibbs' both jobs is in trouble with this organization? 
I just can't see that. I mean, you know, you just you're just two years through a five year deal with like twenty four million dollars left on it. I think he's going to get at least one more year. Now the seat will be hot. And I'm sure it'll be watched even a little bit more closely, and and you know, Glenn Taylor will probably have have his eye even closer on and everything that happens this off season, uh, things like that. But I I would be shocked uh, if Tom Thibodeau lost his job, win or lose. I mean, regardless. Certainly, things haven't went the way they wanted to this year. They still did win 15 more games than last year. I mean, 46 wins, first first uh, plus 500 season since '05. Um, Tibbs can probably point to enough points of progress, as frustrating as that'd be for Wolves fans, to say, "Hey, look, we're going in the right direction." Now I just got to do this and this this offseason. He can probably lay out a pretty clear plan as far as what he wants to do, and I think he'll get the opportunity to kind of carry that out. I get the love for Butler, but Jace, explain this to to me. Why the infatuation with Rose at this point? He, he talked about he talked about him last night. You know, he's got all these skills and he can still. I mean, it's really been about four or five lost years. I, I don't know if I get the infatuation with Rose at this point in his life and career. Well, I'll say that in terms of guys that you could have gotten for minimum level deal, kind of just off the market uh, in the middle of the season, which was almost nobody. Rose hasn't been too bad of a, of a pickup. I actually kind of like the things that he's brought in terms of like toughness. Defensively, I don't think he's been that bad. I think he's been a little better than I expected him to be. Uh, and he's shown a little bit of a scoring burst. Like last night, he provided some energy when they needed it. Um, now, the things he says, you know, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he still thinks, oh, maybe this can be the Derrick Rose of old. I think he's wrong there. But I actually think in terms of just bringing in a guy who can come in and bring you something in the middle of the season, I actually don't think Derrick Rose has been that bad. I, I, I personally probably would have played him a little bit more like in that in the last Denver game. And I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a little bit more on on Wednesday because I think he's actually playing pretty well right now and kind of bringing them something. And it might not, it, it's possible that like the Derrick Rose angst might just be more, it might not be as much about Derrick Rose himself, but it might just be about this philosophy Tom Thibodeau has of getting the yeah. band back together. Like Justin Patton was a first round pick. That dude's played 30 seconds this year. Why? You know, because he doesn't want to develop. He doesn't want to put in the time to develop young players, but he'll put Derrick Rose in a game for 15 minutes to take 20 shots. You know, that that's the frustrating thing. Yeah. And, and I think, like, had Derrick Rose not played for Tom Thibodeau previously in the skirt? Now, who knows if he'd be in Minnesota if that was the case. Probably not. Uh, but there probably wouldn't be as much angst about about Rose. You know, and I just think there was kind of a negative perception about him coming into it, though, um, that, like, the terrible signing and anything Rose, would done, Rose could have done wouldn't be good. Um, but I do like what he's done. And, and, like, I understand, you know, the frustrations with guys like, like Justin Patton, like, not even seeing him at all this year. Certainly they can kind of point to the injury and say, well, we want him to progress from that and come back from that all the way. But you'd think that we would have seen him at least a little bit more than we have, um, and, and 30 seconds, and not any time here down this playoff stretch, not even like putting him in too many times in garbage situations. And then, you know, we haven't seen like the, any of the two-way guys. Anthony Brown's gotten almost no minutes as a two-way guy, and meanwhile you're seeing other two-way guys around the league yeah. get more opportunities and make positive impacts and be nice transactions for teams and kind of be diamonds in the rough. And the Wolves, we haven't even really had a chance to see if these guys are that. So there's a lot of frustration there, and I, I understand that. But I, I don't see too much negativity directly. I don't see why too much negativity right now is directed towards Rose, at least for what he's done so far. Uh, Jace Frederick here. Before we let you go, so the, I think the Wolves have the two best players on the court tomorrow night, but there's all these other factors that stack up in Denver's favor. I mean, cohesiveness, just uh, how hot they've been lately. Who do you think is most likely to win the game? If they play that game 100 times tomorrow night, who wins the majority of those games? I think Minnesota wins the majority of them just because they do have, like, the two best players on the court, and it's a home game. Like, if this was in Denver, I would say Denver probably wins it more times. Uh, but Minnesota generally does play Denver pretty well. Uh, even without Butler, they 
I mean, they, they played them to almost a draw in Denver. Uh, I, I just think that the Wolves will probably pull this out. I think they would normally pull it out. Um, it just kind of depends on who's going to respond at the moment. Like, is Towns going to do too much, try to do too much in, in a big game? Uh, it's about like this. Is Andrew Wiggins going to show up? These are variables that you don't really know the answer to, but just heading into it, I would say that I would give the Wolves the upper hand. Right on. Great stuff, man. Thanks, Jace. Thanks, guys. Appreciate All it. Right, Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press and TwinCities.com. If you extrapolated Derrick Rose, he's, he's only played eight games and limited minutes in those eight games. But if you took the body of work, albeit small, that he has with the Wolves so far and extrapolated to a per 36 minute, uh, so if he were like to have played full games, mm-hmm. he'd be shooting, well, 42%, uh, 18 points a game, four assists, and a couple of rebounds, and very, very shaky defense. Some of that's the guys he's on the court with, too. This lineup where he's out on the court with Jamal Crawford defensively, that's you're just asking for a team. And they keep throwing it out there, don't they? Yes. It's, it's one of the, the – in fact, I, I – Like defensively, it makes it makes no sense for a guy who supposedly loves defense to play those guys as much as he does together. I looked this up. You uh, That trio of those two with Tyus Jones is the one that is usually in that lineup with those guys. Yes. Now, I haven't looked this up in a couple of games, so it might have changed, but the first, like, 40 minutes worth of time those guys spent on the court together – Per 100 possessions was a minus 35. Yeah. Minus 35 overall. That's overall net, is, net production. There is a lot of inconsistency from Tibbs right there. Because it flies in the face of what you think he wants. And and if you took three the different... The roster does. Yeah. And, but if you took three different players and put that, them out and they provided the stats, uh, the stats that you just gave me, guess what? He'd go nuts. Yeah. And for the record, a guy in Derrick Rose would be averaging 19 shots per game at a 42% clip. That's not what you want. I got. I was tweeting with people during the break, and someone, you know, someone points out again. Why are you so, you know, it's funny. Like Wiggins grabs some rebounds and plays defense, and you rip on scoring. It's like, I, first of all, why can't people understand that efficiency matters more than just how many points you average? Because if you average twenty, if you score twenty points and I score twenty points, yeah, and it takes me eleven shots and it takes you twenty shots, that nine shot difference matters. But you're fighting with diehard Wolves fans. So, like, so they're not going mean, to change. I'm their, a Wolves fan, right? No, no, no. But they're diehards. They're not going to change their 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 allegiance to the team. Diehard Wolves fans can be, can be their ability to be not. I'm not saying you're fighting with all Wolves fans. I'm saying that there's a faction of Wolves fans who are always going to come back at, at you because they love the team and they they don't want to see what you're trying to tell them. Like Jace, Jace literally mentioned he he was wondering aloud if Andrew Wiggins will show up tomorrow night. Like well, the fact that that's fair, even a qu- completely fair and it's completely fair. Of course, it is. Of course completely it is. I'm fair. Like, that's amazing though. Um, Did he show up last night? No, that's a must-win game too. By the way, against a G League team that's yes. tanking, and he went three of twelve from the field. He should have scored forty last but night. But because they have the two best players on the court tomorrow night, I st- mm. I still would lean Denver just for all the other factors, and it's the Wolves, and you know. But Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler changes that narrative if he's playing at his peak and playing enough minutes. He changes the franchise narrative. Oh, he's going to play. He's a winning He's going to play enough tomorrow night. He's a winning two-way His player. His leg might fall off, but he's going to play enough. We need five callers because we're giving away Twins tickets on the other side of this. Twins tickets for tonight. 651-646-8255. 877-615-1500. We're going to play some Steal the Loot. And uh, we might need more than five. Just kind of depends. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. It is going to be fun. There's Define going to be fun. Mackey and Judd. It's not always going to be easy. It could cause plenty of angst. On 1500 ESPN. Game Show Tuesday. 
podcast. <laughs> it is Game Show Tuesday, Tuesday with Mackie and John. Here are your hosts, Phil Mackey and Judd Zogan. Yeah, all right. Oh, Judd's back. Woo. We got we got a big sports week here with you know, got the Twins and Astros weather pending here the next couple days. Noon game tomorrow for Twins and Astros. You got uh, Wild and Jets game one tomorrow at like six o'clock on some channel that we have no idea yet, right? Or is it NBC Sports Network? I think it's a Fox. Or CNBC. It's, it's a Fox Sports North game too. Okay, first so just, round. Whatever. Is just watch LaPanta. Local cable, yeah. And then Wolves and Nuggets tomorrow night. We have tickets to give away right now to tonight's Twins Astros game, seven ten first pitch. You got to pick the tickets up from our radio station by five o'clock today. So if that's a problem for you, then just giving you the heads up. Maybe you want to jump off the line. So we have Tom, Larry, Peter, Dan, and Thomas. And we might even need more depending on how good or bad these guys are at answering trivia questions related to the twins. So as soon as someone gets one of these wrong, 651-646-8255. Just to make it official, Dave, what game are these fellas going to be playing? Fellas? Tom, Larry, Peter, Dan, Thomas, and any ladies who want to call up. Sure, feel free. Jan, you know, Susan, whatever. Jan or Susan would be wonderful. You will be playing a very special early season Twins and Major League Baseball edition of Steal the Loot! Steal the Loot. Yes. One of our favorite games. So here's how it works. We have five questions, all Twins trivia questions. Whoever gets the fifth question right wins the tickets. But we got to do some work to get to that fifth question. That's why we're going to start with Tom. Are you there, Tom? I'm here. Hey, Tom. If you get all five of these right, you win Twins tickets. Are you ready? Yep. All right, let's start off with this one. What is the Twins' current record? Uh, They're 500, four and four. Tom is off to a good start. What place do the Twins occupy right now in the American League Central standings, Tom? Oh, second. Bye, Tom. Oops, hold on. Bye, Tom. Larry. What's up, Larry? How are you doing, boy? Larry. Do you know what place the Twins occupy right now in the AL Central standings, Larry? Third place. It says third place. That's incorrect. A lot, of, a lot of background noise there, too. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500 if you want to get in on some Steal the Loot action here. Peter. Yes. What place do the Twins occupy right now in the AL Central standings, Peter? First place. Yep. Yes. That is correct. All right. Peter is in the uh, driver's seat here. Three questions to go. Whoever gets the fifth question right wins Twins tickets for tonight's game. Name two of the five twins who had a base hit in last night's two nothing loss to Houston. And by the way, we're not going to tell you right or wrong unless you uh, until the end. So guess two of the five twins who had at least a hit in last night's game. Maurer and Escobar. That's correct. Other correct answers would have been Dozier, Kepler, or Castro. On to question four, Judd. Within two degrees, what was the temperature at game time last night? Thirty. I like that question. That's a good question. Dan, you're on Steal the Loot. Dan, coming within two degrees, the temperature at game time last night was? 28. Oh, we're off and running <laughs> now. Who we got next? Off and running. All right, Thomas. Within two degrees, temperature at game time last night, Thomas. 24. 
Incorrect. 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. We got two questions left. Whoever gets the second one right, so you got to do some work to get there, wins the Twins tickets. Lou. Uh, I'll go with 37, boss. All right. The correct answer is 35, 35. and that is within two degrees. So, Lou, this is for the win right here. Are you ready? I'm ready. Name one of the two remaining teams with only one loss so far in the 2018 Major League season. Uh, the Mets. He guesses Mets, and he is correct. Yeah, going to the yes. game, and it's supposed to be 41 degrees at first pitch. It's going to be balmy. Boy, you can take your shirt off in the outfield tonight. Yeah. Oh, I will do. Bring that nice. suntan lotion, Lou. All right, Lou. Nice work. Congratulations, man. We'll put you on hold. He has stolen the loot. Oh, they're going. Nice. Okay, fired pipe up down. Fire up for this. down, crowd. It's like cherry berries available. Um. Did you see Lance Lynn's quotes after the game? Yeah, he was mad at himself. It was great. Like that, yeah, well, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. So, like, just watching him work, and I was listening to some of it on the radio, watched some of it. I was in transit for some of his outing. But you give me a guy against that bleeping lineup that goes, what, five innings, strikes out that many batters. He struck out, I think it was nine strikeouts in five innings. Yeah, he put some guys on, but you're going to do that against that lineup. You go five scoreless with a bunch of strikeouts against that lineup yeah. and then hand it over to a really good bullpen, you've done your job. So the fact that he kind of has a, a thorn in his side is a good sign that he expects more out of himself. But I really thought like the Twins' problem in the past has been against lineups like that or the Yankees lineup. You start to look at the list of pitchers and you start crossing guys off. Well, that guy, can, there's no way that guy can come in. Last night, they held their own toe-to-toe. It's a one-game sample size. Maybe they give up 10 tonight. And uh, in my opinion, it's different. But it just... It looks like this set of pitchers can go toe-to-toe in a more competitive way with lineups like that than in previous years. That's and a good sign. I realize it's just talk, but I love the fact that, that he's actually mad. I really like that. I'm just so tired of the excuses and the Nalaskos and all and all of the, man, I thought I had really good stuff tonight. I thought I was really good. Yeah, I love the fact that he he's had, he's had two outings. One was really bad. One, he threw too many pitches and walked too many guys, but it was not awful. But he comes back with, yeah, I'm not that good yet. And to me, that is such yeah. that is such a breath of fresh air for a staff where we have we've had so many years now of guys telling us, I thought it was fantastic tonight. Don't yeah. know what went wrong. Another thing I, I it's little, but another thing I learned or didn't really learn, but sort of confirmed watching that game last night. So Miguel Sano comes up with runners on the corners, nobody out. Actually, Joe Maurer came up with runners on the corners and and nobody out. He strikes out on a 96-mile-an-hour, what looked to be some kind of a cutter from Justin Verlander that started kind of at the thighs and darted down and in. It was just a filthy pitch. Maurer swings and misses. Uh, Twins were down by one run at this point in the sixth inning. So then Miguel Sano comes up next, and he's kind of... the, The ump had a pretty wide strike zone for both pitchers. Lance Lynn was taking advantage of a couple inches off the corners as well. So, you know, it was just one of those nights, I want robotic... I want electronic strike right, tones, but, but last night you kind of knew what the zone was. Yes, and uh, and so Sano barks at the umpire for a bad call early in the count, and I thought Royce nailed it with a tweet. It's like, dude, it it just means that if you were to get that pitch called a ball, it just means that it's going to take Verlander an extra pitch or two to get you out. He only cares about one thing. He doesn't care about oh they're working me away, so I'm going to try and just poke a ball to right field like like a Miguel Cabrera type hitter. If that's the caliber hitter you want to be. I'm going to hit a ball, just a laser through the right side, and score this run from third base and tie the game. All he cares about 
is pulling pitches 480 feet to left field. And that's, that's the only thing he wants to do. And that's what's changed. It didn't used to be that way. This is what I don't get. Where, where, How on earth do you come up as a young hitter with an approach that's actually pretty good and then lapse into this, well, now i got to pull the ball? I don't get this. I th- it's and he struck out three more times last night. I mean, I get it. Like as a guy who who never once hit a ball over the fence in his life playing softball or baseball, like it's there's probably some sort of a there's got to be a high or some drug like effect when you're able but, to hit a ball as far as he can to left field. I get that you want to do that on a regular basis, but he's talented enough with a runner yeah, on third, and even if it's Verlander, what like, I'm telling dude, you though is he didn't come up with that approach. This no, is what I, I know. This is what confuses <laughs> me about if he had come up with with this approach. I'd say, okay, it's very flawed, but I'm not surprised by it. He has now struck out 17 times and 31 at-bats. Struck out three more times last night. Yeah, and like like last night, everybody was striking out because it was Justin Verlander. But it's just like the nature of his at-bats. It's not like the result of it being a strikeout is kind of a given. But when pitchers are working him on the outside corner and they're just throwing stuff away, 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 and he's still just sitting there trying to... I know. It's like he's waiting for a pitch that's never going to come. And when he gets pitches that are pretty decent to hit, if you're just open-minded about maybe hitting the ball to the other side of the field, you're missing opportunities for, for driving in runs and being a more complete and hitter. And he mashed that one last night, and it just went foul. And that, But that was it. Once that went foul, that at-bat was pretty yeah. much done. I looked at last night. I went to Fangraph just for fun, and they've got heat maps of how pitchers work hitters. Miguel Sano, it's something crazy like there's – they, they they cut it up into they cut the heat map into like twenty different zones for where a ball could go in in and outside of the strike zone. So of those twenty different zones, three quarters of every pitch thrown are in two zones. The very top part ab- above the strike zone, so that high fastball that like he's got that uppercut swing and he's a big dude. He's just kind of a, a he's got kind of that plotting. It's not the quickest swing these days. Yep. And so if pitchers just think, if I can throw a ball kind of between the letters and the belt and get him to chase that pitch, he swings and misses almost every time, especially 96. And the other place is just off the outside edge where it might be called a strike if the umpire is stretching, but it's for sure a pitch that he's not going to drive to opposite field when he's in that pull mode. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two places the pitchers are pitching him right now. And until he adjusts and either catches up to the high heat or stops swinging at it, or decides I'm going to hit a ball to opposite field and make them come back inside so I can get pitches that I really want. Good luck at this rate. He's going to keep one. striking out. And again, I get it. Verlander, he's amazing, but come on, man. No, but it's it's not it's not just that that one game. It's the consistency w- with which he now is taking this approach every single game. Yeah. that's starting to drive you nuts. Yeah. So and my God, like it's not going to change. Maybe like mixing a salad once in a while. I, I've, once in a while. I've told you for a long time, and I will maintain that this with his athletic ability, he is the best left tackle in this town. He is the most gifted. He's got because he's got good. He's I would got say right decent. tackle. Riley Riley Reeve is. Pretty. I bet he's a better left tackle. Right tackle. I'd We're move splitting him to, hairs. Here. I'd move him to left tackle with those feet. He would be. He would be the most talented left tackle in in this town since Bryant McKinney. Yeah. Open phone lines. Last segment six five one six four six eight two five five. Who do you think is a better <laughs> left tackle? Eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd now continue. You're listening to the Rack. Yeah. That's a perfect name for us. We could just switch it right now. On 1500 ESPN. MLB The Show 18 is now out. Still playing the show 17. 
transfer your saves over to MLB The Show 18 and continue Road to the Show and your franchise. Home runs, steals, and epic catches. Get into the action and experience the best of baseball. MLB The Show 18, welcome to the show. Rated E for everyone. You can win your very own copy right now on the 1500 ESPN stream player. Thank you, David. I've got the playoff scenarios here. All of the different scenarios that could take place in the next couple days. We went over them like three or four hours ago, but we'll do it again here in just a second. Open phone lines for the last segment, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. Sam, you're on with Mackie and Judd. Hey, guys. Uh, I just got a couple of cross-sport references for you guys. I want to see what you guys think. Sure. Cool. Uh, mentally, I think Miguel Sano and Andrew Wiggins are almost in the same boat. It just seems like they, you know, their talent alone has gotten them to where they are, and they're not willing to, you know, work hard off the field, off the court to get to that extra step to be that great. And it just doesn't seem like they care about winning. That's, I think, a pretty fair assessment. I would say that Miguel Sano is a more valuable overall player to his team in his sport, even with those deficiencies, than Wiggins, even. But yeah, like, I agree. Like, too. you just and want more so, out of both. Yeah. I, I think yeah. both. I, I think both are not concerned at all about their craft. Like they, yeah, they're, they're good at the sport. They might even enjoy it at times, but it's a craft. And when it comes to that, that part they don't care. It's about. also worth noting, like Sano, as frustrating as he can be in all the strikeouts, his OPS is over a thousand this season. So it's like you watch him and he's frustrating, but then he's got three home runs, three doubles, and if he keeps hitting a bunch of home runs, then it's not going to or whatever. If he if he's just going to be a power hitter who doesn't really have a defensive position at some point, you can still use that in baseball. And uh, as long as you don't have to pay like $25 million for it. So Agreed. I have one more then, too. So I was talking with my buddies. Jose Barrios is like Jose Fernandez light. Kind of like how you always said Antonio Brown and Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Stephon Diggs is Antonio Brown light. I think Jose Barrios has a lot of similar stuff. Not as good, but... Jose Brios is something to get excited for in this town. We haven't had somebody like that since Lariano. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's another guy. Actually, one of the well, this is Jeff Passan or somebody, a very credible national baseball writer, quoted a scout saying the same thing during Brios's first start, saying that there's a lot of Jose Fernandez similarities there in terms of stuff. I'll take that and uh, energy. Uh, Greg, you're on the show. Hi, uh, a trivia question for you. Um, the Buffalo Bills finally made the playoffs uh, since 1999. So does the Timberwolves have the longest playoff drought of any pro sports team, maybe besides Cleveland? Well, I, I think they do and, outside and the, of baseball, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they do outside of baseball. Be right. It's definitely the longest in the NBA. The NHL, I would think that it's the longest because like, there's so much playoff parity in the NHL. Yeah. NFL... I think it might be the longest. Baseball, there's got I mean there's there's teams in baseball that haven't right. made the playoffs in a long time. Maybe right. not though. I, that's a long time. NFL time. the Browns went the, the the new Browns came in the league in ninety nine and they went in two thousand and what? It was early on that they made it. I think Kelly Holcomb was their quarterback. They made a playoff appearance, they lost to Pittsburgh in the first game. I remember that. Okay. But that's gotta be the like two thousand two yeah. or three. Okay, or then it would be the Browns. It would be the Browns. But they're they're definitely on that short list. If they're not number one, they're like Number two, number 16 three. teams make the playoffs, and you haven't made it in 13 years. Well, here are some scenarios. If they lose tomorrow night, they're out, which would be a familiar result here the last decade and a half for them. But if a few things go right, they could actually get the five seed 
if these things happen, if the Wolves, so all of these have to include the Wolves beating Denver, obviously. If San Antonio, let's take that off the board too, because that that's like a cancel out. San Antonio, New Orleans in these scenarios cancel out. Basically, if Utah goes 0-2 against Golden State and Portland, that's an at-Portland game. Those are going to be tough games. If Utah goes 0-2 and Memphis beats Oklahoma City, which is probably not going to happen, I would be shocked if that happened. The Wolves would get the 5 seed, and I believe they'd play the Spurs then, who who would nab the 4 seed. If that Spurs-New Orleans game goes the opposite way and everything else that I just said happens, then the Wolves would also get the 5 seed, and New Orleans would be their opponent because they would get the 4 seed. Uh, The 6 seed happens for the Wolves. If they beat Denver, if San Antonio beats New Orleans, if Utah goes 0-2, and if Oklahoma City beats Memphis, okay. which is fairly realistic. like and, Utah, Utah's going to have a tough time winning both those games. And Utah plays tonight against whom? Golden State. Okay. Yes. And then the other six-seed scenarios are Wolves beat Denver, mm-hmm. San Antonio beats New Orleans, Utah wins either of their games, so 1-1, one and, one, mm-hmm. and Memphis beats Oklahoma City. Again, like the Memphis beating Oklahoma City things, I think are just off the board. Yeah, there's I I would be shocked unless I don't know. There's no reason for Oklahoma City to just shut it down and not try to get seeding. Let's take one more call here, Randy. You're on hey, the show. Just a, hey, just a quick Max Kepler argument or fight. Uh, I, I I I totally side with you guys that uh, they should not have pitched Gross, uh, pitch hit Grossman for Kepler in the sixth inning. While that happened, I go, why are they pinch hitting him at the sixth inning when you got Logan Morrison coming up to the next inning who's not even batting a hundred. Kepler's not your platoon. He's your starting right fielder. He he deserved every chance. I screwed this up with the clock. Randy, call back tomorrow. Randy's right, though. Call back tomorrow. You got a good point, Randy. Three seconds. We'll see you guys tomorrow.